Hi, I'm Antonia, and I'm a midwife. Hi, I'm Micah, and I'm a midwife. Hi, I'm Jane, I'm a midwife. Hi, I'm Savannah, a student midwife. Hi, I'm Lucy, and I'm a midwifery support worker. Hello, my name's Golbano, and I'm a midwife. Hi, I'm Abby, and I'm a birth centre. is a service that reaches out to support others. This trust has a justified reputation for supporting student midwives and for keeping its students and supporting them through their early careers. Now for a number of years it has actively involved staff at all levels in decision making and developments within the service. It leads, by example, supporting and informally mentoring newly appointed HOMSs and during the pandemic, it supported neighbouring services that were closed. I am delighted to announce the winner of Midwifery Service of the Year of 2021 goes to Manchester University. That was presenter and musician Mylene Class announcing the RCM's winner of the Midwifery Service of the Year. And I'm Gemma Murphy. You may have guessed it. This episode is all about our award winners for 2021. This year, the RCM had 15 categories in total. And during this episode, I'll meet the Water Wipes Maternity Support Worker of the Year, the winner of the NMC's Excellence in Perinatal Mental Health Award, and the winners of the RCM's newest award category, the Race Matters Award, winning midwives from Northampton. You can hear more, though, from the director of midwifery, Cathy Murphy, who won midwifery service of the year, and her team, who I interviewed for our Race Matters podcast earlier this year. All the winners, the photographs and more about their winning work and initiatives can be found on the RCM's website in our media release section, rcm.org forward slash media releases. I'm so pleased this morning to be joined by one of the award winners of the RCM's NMC Excellence in Perinatal Mental Health Award. I'm joined this morning by Fiona Laird and her partner who can't be here, uh, Melissa Jagaru. How are you? Oh, I'm absolutely delighted to be here. Thank you for taking the time out because I know how busy you are at the moment. First of all, how did it feel to, to win the award and have your work recognised? I have to say it was one of the most amazing feelings in the world. We've been doing this service now from for two and a half years. And as you know, changing anything in the health service is like often feels like swimming through syrup. So the fact that we've been able to make this service work, to join up with perinatal mental health services, to join up with community mental health services, health visitors, just to be the whole multidisciplinary team to look after these women with mental health is amazing and it just made all the work and all the effort and all the stories of those women seem I don't know just so worth it in that moment yeah well I was there I was lucky enough to be there on the day and the excitement in the room was palpable and then I think like an explosion just went off when you won and, and it was so well deserved you mentioned earlier on that you worked in you've you've worked in the NHS for 37 years. 
And that is no mean feat. When did you begin to specialise in perinatal mental health? I've had quite a, a journey in my midwifery career. I've, I've pretty much done most roles. I worked for Medicine Sans Frontier in war zones in Sudan and Chad and was in charge of sexual gender-based violence there. So rape as a weapon of war. So really that started my interest in the mental health of women. Further compounded by, I came back, I was a commissioner, then a head of midwifery. And then six years ago, I became a consultant midwife. I've always been a clinical midwife. So actually the role of consultant midwife suits me much better than uh, head of midwifery. And then I was running clinics for birth trauma, but I also saw a lot of women with mental health problems. And so really started looking into that at our hospital. And it turned out we had between five and 600 women booking a year with mental health problems. And we all know the embrace, you know, mental health, suicide is one of the biggest reasons for maternal death. So that combined with I had some personal tragedy in my life. My husband committed suicide. And after that, I thought I really need to qualify myself a bit better to look after these women. And what can we do a bit better? It was happening at the same time. Better births was happening. Continuity of carer. I qualified myself as a CBT therapist, cognitive behavioral therapist, and went about the wonderful job of trying to make a change in the health service. So then we got the go ahead to to do this and had a lot of support from the mental health service. And then I got to luckily handpick all the midwives that are working in my team. Your team and is called the Magnolia Midwives team. That's the team that you're talking about, right? Yeah, it's the Magnolia Midwives, the wonderful, magnificent Magnolia Midwives. I love it. And really, when, they're the ones that are at the coalface every day with these women. And when did you establish the Magnolia Midwives, Fiona? Two and a half years ago. And, and like you've, you've, you've touched, you've touched on, you know, how many women were presenting and needed support with mental health. So you established the team just before the pandemic. And I'm imagining because we've heard and we've seen lots of studies and data about it, that women's mental health, perinatal mental health was a real concern over the last two years during COVID-19. Yeah. And I think it was it was really terrible, actually, because. No one was going in to visit these women. The mental health services weren't going in. Social services weren't going in. Health visiting wasn't going in. So actually, we became the only people going in to see these women at home, many of them in domestic violence situations, many of them isolated. And isolation is one of the worst things for mental health. And we certainly saw a mass deterioration, which was when we decided to change how we did things. Two of our midwives had to isolate. They had to shield because of medical problems. So that diminished the team. So we stopped. We made the decision to stop doing intrapartum care and enhance the antenatal and postnatal care. So we were often seeing these women every week. We set up Zoom quizzes, We things like go and find the longest stick, go and pick a yellow flower, just to try and get women out of the house and, and walking and in nature, because even in Tottenham, there's some lovely parks. And then we also did very small groups of outside art therapy, 
we did belly painting in people's houses we did belly casting so all the things that we do as big groups we we sort of adapted and and did it in the women's homes like like you said it's it's a challenge to create something like this in the NHS particularly in an area that has seen so much underinvestment and you must have met along the way obviously barriers and and things that you had to get over in order to get this service in place yeah, what's that saying? You, an, an obstacle is just a challenge or something. I don't know. But <laughs> I love. Just, I have to say, I love your outlook. I mean, I can see why you have driven this through to be so successful because you have that outlook. I think when you're you're led by personal experience and by just listening to these women's stories that are so moving and you know you just the strength in them from what they've been through you know rape in war zones asylum seeking as well as having mental health problems and not really knowing how to access the system and it's quite scary going to see psychiatrists being in child protection meetings when there's 12 professionals you know and having a midwife you love and trust alongside you to be able to maybe tell your story for you or with you and to make those plans together and and just to hold them, just to have someone to hold them. Now, often these women have never been held in their lives. Mm. So they find that quite difficult to trust. Yeah. But that's why the continuity is so important because you gradually build that relationship with the women. And our midwives in the Magnolia team are magnificent at doing that. And, you know, um, Andrea Sutcliffe from the NMC, who presented you with the award, said after the awards that she's had the privilege of hearing and seeing how your person-centred approach takes people from diverse backgrounds with very complex needs and leads to excellent results. And that's what you've just described right there. I mean, it it really is incredible what, what you do. Um, so so you've, also, you've also established weekly classes for antenatal and postnatal women that includes mindfulness and hypnobirthing and all kinds of things that are holistic. Well, the traditional model wasn't working for these women. I mean, obviously, with the suicide rate and premature birth rate and many other things, it was really important to, to look at a different model and, you know, stigma, isolation, not being able to share things, feeling alone, really feeling alone. I keep banging on about that, but that really is how most people feel with mental health, kind of isolated. So it was really important to try something else. And I'm a great believer in alternative therapies alongside traditional medicine. And we knew that mindfulness, that massage, aromatherapy, I mean, we do belly painting, art therapy, all these things join people together and allow them to express their feelings in different ways. And I think that has been absolutely a pivotal part of of the success of our our whole journey, really, (laughs) through for both women and for midwives, because it also gives the midwives that are coping with listening to these stories every day a chance to be relaxed with these women and actually paint themselves and, yeah. you know, find some kind of joy in it too. Yeah, I imagine it's a much more relaxed setting than the clinical setting where you're really, and, you know, where you're seeing psychologists and social services, like you said. And and, and I, I probably think if I was a woman and I was on my own and isolated, this is an opportunity to make friends, isn't it, with other mothers or p- people who yeah. are pregnant. And we only have 20% that are white British. Yeah. So... So we really do see the world (laughs) from our women. I think we've got nearly every country represented. So we try and 
you know, get three together that all speak the same language. We've got languages spoken amongst our midwives, but not not English. So that helps too. And I think, you know, when you're painting, you don't have to speak. That's true. You, you touched on uh, on your, your mental health of, of your team and your own mental health. And how, how do you cope as a team, you know, hearing and dealing with these kind of situations that are very hard to hear about day in day out obviously you're in a professional mindset but how does that affect you personally when you leave work well I think there's there's two things really the first thing is that we meet every week with the mental health service where we can discuss the new cases coming on decide which pathway is best for them and also discuss our caseload with the psychiatrist with the psychologists so we share all our experiences there. We also have clinical supervision from our uh, Maple service, which is another service that we've set up. I don't know if you know, but women with mental health, if they lose their baby through death or they have safeguarding issues where their baby's removed, the perinatal mental health service no longer looks after them. They only look after women postnatally with babies. So this new service, the Maple Service, which we're piloting at the moment, has three clinical psychologists and those women can be can be referred to the Maple Service and they will look after them throughout their pregnancy and for a year afterwards. And now they also provide us as midwives with clinical supervision every week. So all of us have our own psychologist that we see and go to as often as we like, weekly if we're feeling bad, (laughs) two weekly if not. But the other thing to say is that we all really get on. And I think as as a leader, it's very important when you do continuity of care to allow people to work at their own pace, not monitor the times they come in, go out. You know, I know my midwives are giving way beyond what they should yeah. um so but that freedom to act and the freedom to act allows people to be innovative and say actually I'm a hypnotherapist could I start a hypnotherapy class we've we've started just recently uh, we realized that mothers weren't reading to their little babies or playing properly so now we we read bedtime stories to mothers so that they can learn how to read to their children and how important that is this conversation with you is so insightful because it's really given me a different you know view and an insight onto what the whole kind of pathway can be if it's needed you know if if women are needed to to have support in that way Fiona we could talk all day I mean I'm gonna have to have you back on the podcast it's incredible I must mention our wonderful Joe Larkey our wonderful obstetrician yeah who all during lockdown actually phoned each midwife and said are you all right you know he wow. he's he's a wonderful person too so I must mention him on top of everyone in our team yeah well just listening to you talking the teamwork sounds phenomenal you're an excellent leader but by all accounts and actually that multidisciplinary approach is really working for the benefit of women care. our results speak for themselves only 500 women audited so far but we hope next year to still have a 70% vaginal delivery rate and I'm sure you absolutely will anyone listening now will will understand absolutely why you were chosen to win this award it was thoroughly deserved and it's inspiring that you've used your own personal loss and and tragedy to spur you on to to give such good care and support to women in, in your own care and your team's care thank you so much for talking to me today Fiona 
It's been more than a pleasure. This year, the awards were back in the physical sense after going virtual in 2020 due to COVID-19. And I had the pleasure of attending the awards and I met so many inspiring RCM members. It was brilliant just to be in a room face to face with people again and celebrating. And I think this year felt so much more poignant than previous years, given the widely reported pressures facing midwives, MSWs and maternity services. I think it was a day for well-deserved celebration given the current climate. Also in attendance was Jackie Dunkley-Bent, the Chief Midwifery Officer for England and Ruth May, the Chief Nurse for England. And here's what they had to say when I spoke with them. The RCM Awards have uh, just finished and we've awarded the Midwifery Service of the Year. I'm so delighted to be joined by the England's Chief Midwifery, Midwifery Officer, Jackie Dunkley-Bent. How are you? Oh, hello. I'm having such a fantastic time. It's been brilliant. You know, at the moment, obviously, things are quite stressful for midwives in service. How important is today for midwives and maternity staff? Absolutely significantly important to celebrate the great work that midwives are doing everywhere. It's great to celebrate those who don't always have a voice. And I'm delighted that we can celebrate all the winners, the great winners for today. Thank you so much. Ruth May, Chief Nursing Officer for England, is also here. How are you, Ruth? I'm grand, thank you. <laughs> I like the grand. I'm used to the grand in Ireland. How did you find the awards? I mean, you've, you've obviously been here before, but it, I found the excitement was really palpable this year. Oh, the noise was just awesome. You could just feel the passion in the room. And what was so good to see from the award winners today is their passion, their expertise, and their sheer commitment to maternity services. That, across the whole of the UK, was something to celebrate this afternoon. Yeah, it's fantastic to see the positivity in the room, and thank you both for attending. Thank you. Now to Northampton we go, where four midwives from Northampton General Hospital NHS Trust scooped national awards at this year's RCM Awards. Picking up the excellence in maternity care during a global pandemic, midwives Anne Richley and Claire Dale were recognised for their work in keeping community maternity services running safely during the pandemic. Also, for the first time ever this year, the RCM introduced a Race Matters Award and winners, both from Northampton, Fatima Ganesh and Sam Simbanda, received this award for their work in supporting pregnant, black, Asian and minority ethnic women during the pandemic, as well as working to tackle inequalities and racism in the workplace. Earlier this month, after their win, I met with Fatima and Sam to hear more about the work they've been doing. I'm so thrilled to be joined by two midwives from Northampton, Sam and Fatima. Congratulations. Thank Thank you. (laughs) So you both won the first ever RCM Race Matters Awards. How did you feel, Sam, on the day? Oh, that, that, that really did come as a surprise because although we knew we'd done so much work, we still felt like our competitors might be stronger than us. And that came as a proper surprise and a real thrill for the team. So we were proper thrilled and, yeah, happy. 
it was a difficult category because, it, the, like you said, the standard was really high, but you're very well-deserved winners. And uh, Fatima, I was there on the day, so I had the pleasure of looking at you going up onto the, the stage to accept, and you looked really pleased. Oh, it was, yeah, it was an amazing feeling. As Sam said, we didn't expect it at all. So I, I think that made our emotion even more stronger. Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. Emotions were high. How long have you worked for a midwife as a midwife, Sam? I have been a midwife since 2011, so that counts to 10 years this year. So, yes, I've been a midwife for 10 years now. A decade. And how about yourself, Fatima? Well, I had a gap between my qualification and starting practice. So, practicing been five years, but qualified in 2012 back in Italy. Wow. Now, I want to hear more about, you know, the work that you've done, because it's absolutely incredible. OK, so you've done so much, particularly in the last kind of 18 months to 20 months over the pandemic to provide additional support to black, Asian and minority ethnic women. Obviously, there's there's always a need because we read and hear about the statistics all the time. You know, four times more likely to have poor outcomes, black women and twice as more likely if you're from an Asian community. Tell me about the, the women that you look after in, in the area of Northampton. Well, the women that we look after is uh, our area is quite really variant area. So we have a high rate of Asian women. And we have as well a high rate of East European women that we are trying as well to focus on East European because it's not just about our, you know, Black, Asian, ethnic minorities, but it's all the women in need. And our East European as well, they have more uh, needs and deprivation that we need to focus on. So, yeah, this is what we are focusing at the moment with uh, on our job. I love the way you say that, that you're just doing your job, but you've certainly gone above and beyond. And Did you find it difficult, Sam, the last year? Because we hear these stories and we know that there's challenges with understaffing in maternity services. And has that like hampered or made things harder for you? Yes, uh, certainly the last six months have been harder than when we initially started because we started last November. So our service has been going uh, strong since November, but we've hit you know when you hit a stumbling block literally because of staffing because of the pressures in maternity and while we know that the service we provide is well needed for women who are black asian and ethnic minority and women that obviously are from east europe like fatima has just said and people with um, uh, deprivation you know uh, problems uh, like that we know that our service is very valid but the pressures in maternity have been awful. Although we're still pushing for the service, we have found it really difficult in the last six months. We will still stand to support our women because that's what we want to see. But yeah, it could be better with more staffing. Yeah, it's really inspiring because you've obviously have to, had to overcome lots of challenges to, to get this service up and running. Can I, can I ask you about the work that you've done, particularly in the workplace amongst your own colleagues as well, to tackle racism I'm going to say in 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 the workplace is that right absolutely true Gemma Uh, I think even before the job we've been doing with uh, you know black Asian and ethnic minorities our work it was an ongoing conversation with our colleagues it just to raise awareness uh, around uh, discrimination and races and I think all the events that happened with the 
Black Lives Matter was our opportunity to be open and honest about this conversation. So yeah, it's an ongoing, ongoing job, ongoing work that we are doing, yeah. And I was reading your entry um, a- after you won, obviously. I didn't see it before you were the winners. But um, I-, I read a lot about the reverse monitoring that you're doing at, tr- at director level and board level. So what's that about? Tell me a little bit more about that. Reverse mentoring is uh, something that our trust introduced to the BEM network, which we call our rich network, where a BEM person like myself and Fatima mentors someone at the high level of you know the directors so we have we have got both mentees that we mentor and we've used this opportunity to educate our mentees on issues on race bullying harassment or anything like that in the trust that could have probably been not discussed previously like Fatima says black lives matter really gave us that courage to start to speak openly about things to anyone we meet at all. Because if things have to change, they have to change from up coming down. It's got to be the top people that get it, then they can support the whole unit to do exactly the same. So reverse mentoring was well received by our our directors and it seems to be doing a lot, a lot in terms of change changes. And we have seen it. We've seen a lot of things coming through and work that's being done after we started uh, reverse mentoring. So, yeah, absolutely something that would really advocate for us. I mean, it's a good way of educating people, put it that way. Absolutely. And you've touched on, on obviously, the Black Lives Matter demonstrations right across the world that have made it a little bit easier for people to talk about race and racial inequalities in the workplace. But if anyone was listening to the podcast and they're thinking, how can I go about starting that conversation in my own trust? What would be your advice to them, Fatima? Wow, <laughs> it's not easy. Let, let's say it. Um, before Black Lives Matter, it wasn't easy to open this conversation. But I think we get the time where we can ignore it anymore. Okay. And I think it's about you don't need to do a lot. It's just a simple conversation. It's just about sharing as well your life experiences Mm -hmm. because that has a massive impact. Like I know myself when I start to be open about my life life experience with my colleague, I seen a lot of shock in their eyes and that Mm -hmm. opened even more questions. And and that's how everything starts. You need just to be honest. You need like Mm -hmm. there is nothing to be afraid of, nothing to fear. Just, just say it because it's about people to know you as a colleague. But if everyone is aware about the impact that discrimination and inequalities can have on other people's lives, we can change the outcomes of these women. If yes. you're aware about your bias, definitely you can change the outcomes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like Fatima has just said, if people really did understand that racism or discrimination doesn't just affect staff, it literally affects the outcomes for the women, it affects the people that we look after, then people will then reflect and be aware of their 
own unconscious bias. So it's just being conscious of your own unconscious bias because it's about knowledge. If you know how it lends to my ears, you might say it, you know, thinking really it doesn't mean anything. But if it if it lends on me in a certain way, it will affect the care I give to the next person I look after because it's con it's that constant chip 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 that eats on your emotions, it on 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 your performance, it's on everything you do. So it's really about people being open and honest about this conversations. Like Fatima again just said, storytelling is a very powerful tool. People being honest and telling their story. I've been in the NHS for more than 15 years. And during that time, I've got a lot of stories I can tell about the NHS and how I've been treated all the way through. But thankfully, this year seems to have given us that voice that we need, that voice that we can say, let's not keep going like that. We've got students coming into the profession. We've got lots more people coming to the go to the profession. Let's change the narrative. And I think there is. I think the tide is turning. I do feel quite positive after looking back on the last year or two. And it's absolutely when you're telling me, you know, what you've experienced and you've barely touched on it, that you've had 15 years and you you could probably write a small book on everything that you've experienced. That makes me so sad to hear that. But I think you're absolutely right. I think Fatima said it as well. Talking about your own personal experience can be really mm-hmm. the driver for change. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Gemma, I think like this award, let me say for me and Sam is a life award, is a life achievement because like we use our life experiences for the work we are doing today. Mm-hmm. And because we we kept silent for many years, our voice never been heard. So we don't want that to be repeated for our colleague, for our women, for our students. So just to take the example of our life and to not allow that to happen again. This is why there is our passion and our mm-hmm. focus that is in mm-hmm. common between me and some. This is why we are despite the challenges we want to keep going. Absolutely. And yeah. like we're recording this over Zoom and I can see the positivity and the happiness on both your faces. Mm-hmm. Can I mm-hmm. ask, how did you split your award? Is someone minding the award for a while and then someone else is minding it? <laughs> well, when we, got, when we got the award, there was a lot going on at home for me. And so I've, uh, there was no one at home. I saw the award and I just passed it to Fatima. Look after this. Tell my <laughs> kids at home. Tell my grandchildren. I'll probably have it over Christmas when they're all here. So I can yeah. show it off. Yeah. But we are happy to do that. It's fine. Yeah, I think I think the award is going to be our uh, adoptive child. So <laughs> yeah. we'll try to share it between us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and- I'm expecting to see lots of photos over Christmas then of like children and yes. grandchildren and friends and family with the award, you know, in pride of place. Yes, <laughs> and, yeah, we're still to show you all. And I guess for, for your colleagues as well, because there was four midwives, two, the two of you, you and obviously two others that won awards, bringing awards back to Northampton to the maternity service there when things are tough must have been a boost to all your colleagues mm. as well. It really was because everyone was so excited because obviously winning, getting nominated is one thing. Getting shortlisted is really great, but actually winning and winning two for one trust. I think our trust really made a a big noise about it because obviously it is a great thing that we've achieved during the pandemic when things Mm -hmm. were so hard. We needed that boost, you know, to say you are actually doing a great job. So, yeah, it was lovely. 
Yeah, wow. and I think as well, uh, because we went through a lot of challenges, it was nice to recognize the job that been mm-hmm. doing, not just me and Sam, but behind the scenes, there is a lot of people working. So it was nice, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you both. I know you're really busy. I-, I could talk to you all day about your life experience. I can't think of two better winners. I mean, like yeah. you're a dynamic duo, that's for sure. And um, I think people listening will feel that they can really tackle some of the stuff we've spoken about hearing uh, about the positive outcomes that you've both had. Thank you for everything you do for uh, women and for working with colleagues and raising the issues of inequality in the NHS. I think it's so invaluable. Uh, You're an inspiration both. Thanks. Thank Thank you. Thank you for having us, Gemma. Thank you. Okay, now Candice Noonan, a maternity support worker from Oxford University Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust, won this year's Water Wipes MSW of the Year Award. And she joins me now. Welcome to the podcast, Candice. Hiya, thank you so much for having me. No worries. It's actually quite fitting that you're on this episode in more ways than one because MSW Week has just wrapped up. Did you do anything at your own trust to celebrate MSW Week? Yes. So we obviously. I think we're all in the same boat in terms of staff shortages. So we had lots of lovely cupcakes arrive with um, little thank yous on the top. And our head of midwifery put a really lovely message on uh, YouTube. So that was shared around. Just a bit of a morale boost, really. Yeah. And like you said, it, it's definitely need, needed given the pressures uh, and shortages yeah. that exist. So I guess the important thing is that it was marked and, and your role was celebrated The reason why you're on the podcast is obviously you are an award winner. Tell me a little bit about how you felt on the day when your name was called out. Yeah, okay. Um, I was shocked. (laughs) So obviously you're you're at your table and you're listening to the lovely Mylene talking and um, I was against two other incredible women and um, for the award and she kind of explained a little bit and I was like okay well that could be any of us and and then said something else I thought okay and then she said something around um the training of students and I was like oh my goodness I think this is me and, I started <laughs> <laughs> and my heart was starting really fast I didn't hear anything after that I got into panic mode and then the table erupted and I was like oh no I've won and I went up to the stage and obviously met everybody and it's been a bit of a whirlwind ever since really I kind of forget about it till someone's like well done I'm like oh yeah (laughs) so you won obviously the award for MSW of the year but you specialize in bereavement support can you tell me a little bit more about that role yeah of course so um, I'm part of the bereavement team here at the John Radcliffe and we support women through their journey of baby loss um, so that's from diagnosis to delivery to discharge and um, I'm heavily involved in kind of spending time with them and answering their questions and memory making is a massive part of the job and really really special and the aftercare as well so calling them when they've gone home kind of checking how they're doing and when they come for their follow-up appointments with an obstetrician I quite often join them because I have a friendly face that they know and it's just that kind of full circle looking after them after their loss. I think you've just hit the nail on the head there, really. It's the continuity that you're providing that's so important because bereavement um, and losing your baby must just be incredibly sad. And obviously, yeah. to be discharged from a service and for the care to end there, 
often isn't helpful to bereaved parents so that continuity you're providing is so important when we were arranging this interview you mentioned this afternoon you you're running your rainbow clinic can you tell me more about what happens at the rainbow clinic and again it's the bereavement team are involved so it's my manager a specialist midwife, bereavement specialist midwife, myself and an obstetrician. So there's a group of four and it's essentially it's a safe space for these parents who have been through a loss to not have to explain themselves over and over and over, telling their story to many, many people. Like we we know what's happened and often we've met them. So they have that face that they know and they trust. And we're just there to support them through their subsequent pregnancy after a loss. So they'll come for a scan. And then they'll come to clinic after and it's more of a check-in, like, how are you doing? Do you need more support? Like later on in a pregnancy, talking about mode of birth, do you want a vaginal birth, cesarean, kind of talking through that and just guiding them, really. Okay. And and I was reading through your nomination and it was mentioned that you work closely with charities as well. How important is that for services? So... To name a few, we have the, obviously, Sands, the Oxfordshire Sands, who are incredible. We had a, a remembrance service on Sunday just gone, so that's really lovely to go to that and see some families that I'd met before. We have for Lewis, who are incredible. I can always count on them to um, support with giving more memory boxes and stuff. And it was them that actually gave us the Muslim burial packs. It would have been a massive thing for our Muslim families who unfortunately endured a loss and it just supports them with those next steps of getting that, putting their baby to rest absolutely and it's culturally sensitive as well isn't it which is absolutely. so important. Yeah, absolutely and I remember the first lady I gave them to was like completely overwhelmed that it was even a thing and yeah it's just really really special and we have a little charity called our angel bears I like to give them a shout out because they are like a tiny little charity and oh. they're based down south and they as the part of the pack we have knitted love hearts and butterflies and I often incorporate them in the photos and it's quite sentimental that what's in the photo with their baby they physically have in their memory box and they also have a teeny tiny little teddy bear which is great because the earlier gestations are quite overwhelmed by a normal sized teddy so these tiny tiny teddies just sit really well with them they're just so special yeah, they're so so small, of course. I wanted to ask about yourself personally and your colleagues. How are you supported? Because obviously every day you're having to support bereaved parents and that must take its toll mentally on you as well. Yeah, it can do, especially on a heavier week. But the senior management are great. They, they check in and I send emails and I pop up to the ward. And as a team, as the three of us, we, are, we always check in and make sure that we're okay. And if I go to delivery suite, for example, if there's a lady down there, the team are really good at kind of seeing if I need anything. But it's almost that balance of, yes, we are resilient, but also we need to look after ourselves. And we often forget ourselves because it's part of the job that... The team in general are just are just great. And we have chaplains who are more than happy to come and have a bit of a debrief if it's a particularly sad case. So we are lucky. We are lucky in terms of support with the team around us. Because that's it. It's so important, isn't it, to look after your own physical and mental health, particularly how overwhelmed services are. Because if you're not well, how, how can you support parents or, and women and their families? How long have you been a maternity support worker? So it's been just over a year and a half. Yeah. And so very new to it, really. 
Um, before here, I worked at oncology, so the cancer ward at the other hospital. And I think that's where my love for bereavement stemmed from. It's a very special job, and I think it really helped to prepare me for this job today. So yeah, only about a year and a half, just over a year and a half. So it's a bit of a whirlwind, really, to have won this award in such a small, small amount of time. And to have won it, it, it really touched me because I've clearly made enough of a difference to have won an award like this. And it's just amazing. Well, you absolutely have. I mean, it, it, it's so well deserved. So I think you've kind of answered my next question, which was what inspired you to become a midwife? You were working in oncology and cancer services and you made the switch over to maternity services. Was that easy? Yeah, it wasn't easy, actually. There was a lot to learn in terms of the baby side. So one day a week I'm clinical, so I do non-bereavement. Um, so I had to kind of learn all of those things like baby observations and what to look out for. So I, was, I could have looked after a mum very easily because of my experience in oncology. But it was that baby side. And the day I got offered this job, my sister was diagnosed with a loss. Um, so I kind of think it's almost fate that I do what I do and helping her through that before I started my role I think really made me look at things a little bit differently so putting yourself in their shoes like my sister was this woman a year ago and how would I want my sister to be treated I think it's a massive thing that we treat people how we want our loved ones to be treated wow that's incredibly like poignant isn't it that she had suffered that loss and you were there to support her and you're obviously really close and like you said that gave you such insight and it's obviously driven driven you forward we are in awe of the work that you do bereavement (laughs) services and specialist bereavement care the care that you provide just doesn't get enough attention it's so important so congratulations on your win where is where is your trophy your award did you bring it into the unit I did for the first few days and then my sister's older daughter and my nephew are desperate to see it so it's at home at the moment (laughs) I hope everyone's getting like a photograph with it or something Oh, amazing. Well, Candice, thank you so much for taking the time out to to talk to me about what you do. And a big thanks for everything that you do from from the RCM. Thank you for having me on. It's lovely. Privilege. That's all for this month's episode. Thanks again to all my guests. And if you'd like to hear more from the RCM Award winners, well, you can, because some have featured on this podcast series. Grace Thomas from Wales, who won the Leadership Award, featured on our Student Midwife podcast. Now, Grace, who's an RCM fellow, has over 30 years midwifery experience and now works as the lead midwife for education at Cardiff University. She's got a fantastic lifelong midwifery story to tell and it's really worth a listen. Thompson's Members Champion Award winner Zoe Manali from Northern Ireland join me back in September for our Together We Can episode. Also, the Slimming World Caring for You winners from Wales this year, their Cardiff and Vale University Health Board branch. They shared some brilliant stories and great ideas for reviving your local branch activities in our Caring for You episode. Now, I'm seeing a pattern here and I'm wondering if appearing or featuring on the RCM podcast is a lucky charm for winning an RCM award. Hmm. On that note, that's all from me. Our final podcast for 2021 is out on Monday, the 20th of December and includes highlights from across the past year. Until then, take care.